Wild West Podcast, where fact and legend merge. The Wild West Podcast presents the true accounts of individuals who settled in a town built out of hunger for money, regulated by fast guns who walked on both sides of the law, patrolling, investing in, and regulating the brothels, saloons, and gambling houses. These are the stories of the men who made the history of the Old West come alive, bringing with them the birth of legends, brought to order by a six-gun and laid to rest with their boots on. Join us now as we take you back in history to the legends of the Wild West. The name of Dodge City, Kansas is known far and wide, and her reputation was not enviable. No city in the United States of the same size has been so thoroughly advertised. To say that one has never heard of Dodge City is to say that he or she does not read. No reader of books, newspapers, or magazines can make such an admission. No town of its size in this country has occupied so much literary space. This story is about Dodge City, its early past in corruption, and one man's ability to take back what was once his. Buffalo City, a frontier settlement that later became known as Dodge City, was founded in 1872. The geographical location on the plains was at the nearest point of the Santa Fe Railroad, five miles west of Fort Dodge. The settlement stood at the edge of the flat Arkansas River bottom, just under the Bear Hills to the north, 100 yards to water, and 100 miles to wood. Her commanding position enabled the city to maintain the commercial and industrial supremacy. Located on the 100th meridian and 50 miles from the Oklahoma line, about 120 miles east of the Colorado line, and on the most southern point of the main line of the Topeka and Santa Fe Railroad. In its early days, its purpose was to provide whiskey and other vices to the soldiers stationed at Fort Dodge, and the buffalo hunters who fed them. In the beginning, Dodge City was at the very heart of the buffalo country. The city's population of 500 that first year was almost entirely due to the buffalo trade. The buffalo hunters and the soldiers from Fort Dodge came to the makeshift settlement to buy supplies, drink, and get away from their boredom. The town grew almost in a night into a tented little city, and every man was a law unto himself. In a few days, Boot Hill Graveyard was started. At the approach of night, the dance hall, saloons, gambling halls were a blaze of light and activity. The sharp report of the six-shooter became a nightly occurrence, and in the morning, the usual question was, how many were killed last night? A documented 18 men died from gunshot wounds, and newspapers identified nearly half again that number as wounded. The bad news out of Dodge made its major East Coast debut in the nation's then most prestigious newspaper, the late Horace Greeley's New York Tribune, titled The Diversions of Dodge City. The fact is that in charming Dodge City there is no law, it concluded. There are no sheriffs and no constables. Consequently, there are a dozen well-developed murderers walking unmolested about Dodge City doing as they please. Hardly had the railroad reached there, long before a depot could be built, when operations were conducted from inside a humble boxcar, business began, hence such a business. Dozens of cars a day were loaded with hides, meat, and dozens of carloads of grain. Flour and provisions arrived each day, a good hunter could make $100 a day. Everyone had money to throw at the birds. There was no article less than a quarter. A drink was a quarter, 
A shave was a quarter, a paper of pens was a quarter, and needles the same. In fact, that was the smallest change. As an unorganized village, Dodge then lacked judicial and law enforcement structures. When quarantine laws closed Wichita to the cattle trade, Dodge City emerged as the queen of the cow towns. As the cattle shipping season of 1876 approached, Dodge townsmen braced for a new and greater invasion, the Texas cattle trade. And on Christmas Eve of 1875, during a committee meeting to appoint temporary officials, the town of Dodge City became officially divided. But it was not until June 1st, 1876, when Michael W. Sutton established residence, when the wide open town faction was powerfully augmented, and the Dodge City Gang was formed. During the first years of the cattle trade, the city's businessmen divided into three factions. The gang, which fully supported the cattle trade, represented the liquor interests, and wanted Dodge City to be a wide open town, businessmen who wanted to keep the cattle trade out, but wanted some restrictions on the saloon and brothels, and German businessmen and farmers who wanted to promote farming in Ford County. Sutton, a canny lawyer, became the brains behind the Wright faction's political maneuvering. Bob Wright, a former Fort Dodge settler whose general store operated in partnership with Charlie Rath, was one of the first businesses established in Dodge City. Allied with Wright were James H. Dog Kelly and his partner Peter L. Beatty, proprietors of the Alhambra Saloon, Gambling Hall, and Restaurant. George B. Cox, another early arrival, always sided with the Wright forces. Cox came to Dodge from Larned in 1872 and built the 38-room Dodge House, which opened on January 18, 1873. The gang advocated for unregulated saloons, brothels, gambling dens, and dance halls to draw cowboys to town. The gang consistently dominated municipal affairs, with Kelly serving as mayor, and gang members routinely elected to the city council and to other municipal offices. From 1875 to 1883, more than 75,000 head of cattle were shipped annually from Dodge City. Many thousands more were driven through Dodge to stock northern ranges, or to be shipped from other railheads. Firearms were prohibited in Dodge City, however in 1876 it is estimated that as many as 25 people died of gunshot wounds. It only took 10 years for Dodge City to build the wild and wicked reputation it had held since the town's beginning. The town site was given many names over the years, from the wickedest city in the West to the beautiful bibulous Babylon of the frontier. While Dodge City and the gang prospered during these years, not all of its citizens agreed with how the gang operated. The Texas drovers that the town depended on for its prosperity scared and intimidated the respectable citizens of Dodge City. A reform movement began to grow that questioned the gang's control of the town. Gang members in important positions in county and city government were replaced in a series of elections. Opposing the Dodge City Gang was a group of men who claimed to stand for law and order, led by wholesale liquor dealer George M. Hoover, physician Sam Galland, lawyer Dan M. Frost, and livery stable owner Ham Bell were prominent in this faction. Hoover was a Dodge pioneer, having sold whiskey to the soldiers from Fort Dodge in a tent on the town site as early as 1871. Galland, Frost, and Bell did not establish residence until 1874, however, and early settlers Wright, Kelly, Cox, and others considered them Johnny's come lately and resented their attempts to change the character of the town. Bill Harris and his partner Chalk Beeson owned the Long Branch Saloon, 
and Luke Short managed the gambling concession in this establishment. In February 1883, Beeson sold his interest to Luke Short. The ownership change was made at a time when Dodge was undergoing one of its periodic political struggles and set off a chain of events that culminated in the celebrated Dodge City War. The Long Branch was one of a string of saloons and gambling houses on Front Street. Its neighbor to one side was George M. Hoover's retail and wholesale liquor store. On the other was the Alamo Saloon, owned and operated by A.B. Webster, the mayor. Luke Short, himself a Texan, was very popular with the trail hands from the Lone Star State, and after he took over at the Long Branch, Webster, Hoover, and other competitors for the cowboy trade noticed a definite loss of business. Webster was a stubborn and strong-willed man, and was not above using his political office to further his personal investments. He set out to break Luke Short. It could probably be shown by facts and figures that there is no distinctly native criminal class except government. Mark Twain In March, a slate of candidates for city offices was selected at a mass meeting of voters. Luke's partner, Bill Harris, was the choice for mayor on a ticket backed by the remnants of the old Dodge City gang, led by former Mayor Jim Kelly and the Ford County Globe newspaper. A few days later, an opposition slate was chosen by the anti-gang group headed by Mike Sutton, Nick Klain, and Webster. Its candidate for mayor was Larry Digger. This faction was ostensibly reformist, which apparently explained Webster's decision not to run again. Webster, a Dodge City resident since 1872, had operated a dry goods store, a grocery, and a lumber business. But when he took over the Alamo Saloon in 1883, he felt that his new role as saloon keeper was incompatible with his position as reformist mayor. He therefore stepped aside in favor of his close friend Digger, who could be counted on to implement any reform activities without hurting Webster. The campaign was short, but bitter, and in April of 1883, Digger defeated Harris and became mayor. Immediately after taking office, Dagger and Webster set about destroying the gang. The city council passed two ordinances, 70 and 71. Ordinance 70 concerned the suppression of vice and immorality in the city of Dodge City, and was intended to shut down the brothels and body houses that were common in Dodge. Ordinance 71 targeted gambling and drinking. Anyone without a legal profession could be found in violation of the ordinance to define and publish vacancy. In both cases, the offender could be fined or jailed. Mayor Dagger hired extra police to enforce the new ordinances. On April 28, 1883, officers arrested three women in the Long Branch Saloon who were supposedly employed as singers. Women entertainers at other saloons and dance halls, including those at the Old House Saloon, owned by Alonzo Webster, weren't arrested. It appeared the citizens of Dodge City didn't elect reformers. They elected men whose goal was to take control of the lucrative saloon business for their own gain. The Long Branch was owned by gang member W.H. Harris and his partner Luke Short. Short had a well-known reputation as a gambler and gunman. Luke Short was a little fellow. He was about 5 feet 6 inches tall and weighed less than 140 pounds. Some people had tried to push Luke around only to learn to their regret that he was not easily pushed. When Luke was told several hours after his singers were caged that no women had been arrested in any other saloons or gambling places, he stormed over to the jail to demand their release. Lewis Hartman, one of the new police officers, saw Luke approaching in the darkness. 
Saying the diminutive Texan walking toward him with a brace of six guns displayed prominently, Hartman suddenly remembered Short's reputation as a deadly killer when aroused. Some referred to Luke as the Undertaker's friend, because he usually dispatched his victim with a clean shot through the head, thereby minimizing the mortician's labor. Hartman jerked his gun and threw lead at the oncoming Short. He fired hastily and his shot merely kicked up dust behind Luke. The little gambler, surprised but cool and calm as always, drew and returned the officer's fire. But even as Luke pulled trigger, Hartman was running. In his anxiety to depart the vicinity, he tripped over his own feet and pitched headlong off the high sidewalk onto Front Street as Luke's shot whistled past his ear. Short thought he had killed Hartman and raced back to the Long Branch and barricaded the door waiting for the inevitable retaliation. Loading a shotgun, he barricaded the door of the saloon and refused to submit to arrest. The next morning, Luke Short heard the voice of Dodge City Marshal Jack Bridges calling to him from outside the saloon door. Marshal Bridges informed Luke that Officer Hartman was alive and uninjured. Further, Marshal Bridges promised that if Short came out of the saloon, unarmed and surrendered, he would be charged only a small fine and released. Convinced by the Marshal's words, Luke Short exited the Long Branch Saloon. Short didn't realize how serious Webster and Dagger were in the plot against the gang. Bridges arrested Luke Short for the assault of Officer Hartman and threw him in jail. Though he was released later in the day under a $2,000 bond, Luke Short knew that war had just been declared in Dodge City. Dagger and Webster knew they had to move quickly. The day after Marshal Bridges released Short, Lawman once again arrested him. Short and five other gamblers who frequented establishments run by the gang found themselves in jail. This time, there was no negotiating with the men in charge of Dodge City. Accused of being undesirable vagrants, Luke Short and the five gamblers were taken from the city jail by a large group of heavily armed men, led by Mayor Dagger and Thomas Nixon, who escorted them to the train station. There, the men were given a choice, east or west. With no other immediate options, Luke Short headed east. In Kansas City, Short learned more details of what he was up against. The mayor and his men intended to use whatever force was necessary to keep him out of town. Tom Nixon led a shotgun brigade inspecting all incoming trains for undesirable persons. Luke Short's friends, including George Hoover, advised him that Dodge City was too dangerous for his return. Luke's friend suggested he sell his interest in the Long Branch and cut his losses. Meanwhile, in Kansas City, Luke Short decided to take matters into his own hands. He wired old friends and requested they return to Kansas. On May 14, 1883, Bat Masterson arrived in Kansas City to discuss the Dodge City problem with his old friend. Eastern Kansas newspapers covering the events unfolding in Dodge City began a lively coverage of the force assembling to help Short. Masterson's presence in Kansas City means just one thing, and that he is going to Dodge City. Masterson today is joined by a few other pleasant gentlemen who are on their way to the tea party at Dodge. One of them is Wyatt Earp, the famous marshal. Another is Joe Lowe, otherwise known as Rowdy Joe. And still another is Shotgun Collins. There are others who will make up the party, but as yet they have not arrived. Altogether, it is a very pleasant party. Their entrance into Dodge City will mean that a desperate fight will take place. The reformers had muscled out Luke Short. They were taking over the saloon business in Dodge City. What they weren't doing was delivering on their campaign promises. The people of Dodge City voted for men they thought would reform the wickedest city in the West. 
What they got instead was one group of saloon owners forcibly telling another group of saloon owners where Dodge Cityans could or could not conduct their business. Of course, word of Short's reinforcement reached Dodge City. It had the desired effect. Sheriff George Hinkle wired the governor in a panic. Governor Glick dispatched the Adjutant General of the Kansas National Guard to evaluate the situation. Mayor Dagger hired more deputies to watch the trains. It seemed a showdown was inevitable. By May of 1883, tensions in Dodge City between rival factions of saloon owners threatened to boil over and affect the entire state of Kansas. Ford County Sheriff George Hinkle wired Governor George Washington Glick for help. Dodge Cityans Robert Wright and Richard Hardesty visited the governor and asked him to stay out of Dodge City business. Confused by conflicting reports, Governor Glick alerted two companies of the Kansas National Guard at Sterling and Newton to be ready for immediate service. Luke and his friends didn't head directly to Dodge City. Bat Masterson traveled to Colorado. Luke himself went to Caldwell, Kansas, located southeast of Dodge City. It was only a temporary stop. Everyone knew it was only a matter of time until they converged on Dodge City. Wyatt Earp arrived first. His arrival prompted Sheriff Hinkle to wire the governor again, requesting assistance. Despite rumors that they would gather in Cimarron, Wyatt Earp, Luke Short, and WF Battalion gathered at a restaurant in Kinsley to discuss their final plans for re-entering Dodge City. Bat Masterson, Texas Jack Vermillion, and Shotgun Collins were also lurking in the area. Like any good gambler, Short waited to move until he held all the cards. On June 5, 1883, Luke Short and his gunman friends arrived in Dodge City. Mayor Dagger and Sheriff Hinkle panicked. They ordered all gambling establishments closed to reduce the chance of bloodshed. Hinkle tried one last time to obtain assistance from Governor Glick. In the end, Mayor Dagger and his men had no choice but to negotiate with Luke Short. By June 8, 1883, the saloon war, as it would be called, was over. With the help of General Moonlight of the Kansas National Guard, the hostile parties reached an agreement. The agreement allowed Short to stay in Dodge City and continue the operation of the Long Branch Saloon. It also restricted all gambling in Dodge City to the back rooms of those establishments. Dagger, Webster, and their supporters agreed to this deal on one condition. Luke Short's friends had to leave town. The threat of both martial law and mob justice reached its end, and for a time, things returned to normal in Dodge City. To celebrate their victory, Luke Short and his friends sat for a formal portrait. They titled their photograph, The Dodge City Peace Commission. Mm -hmm.